My dear friends in Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. It's been one of those weeks, hasn't it? Uh, I'm as anxious to find out what I'm going to say this morning as you are. Maybe more so. <laughs> we'll get there. Sometimes the safest place to be is the most dangerous place to be. I'm going to let that just sink in for a second. Sometimes the safest place to be is the most dangerous place to be. A few weeks ago, um, Deacon Laura and I were attending the uh, theological convocation of the South Dakota Synod over in Pierre, and at that event, our main presenter for those couple of days was one of professors at one of our seminaries who was encouraging all of us to kind of take a fresh look at the Psalms. Um, and Beth shared a little bit about that in her kids' message today, the Psalm for today, Psalm 91. And he was encouraging us to maybe look at the Psalms as more of a source for our consideration and particularly for our preaching on Sundays, maybe instead of running straight to the gospel reading, where I must admit I usually go for guidance on a, on a day like today. So, anyway, here I am, and here we are about to do that very thing. We're going to take a look at the psalm for today. But, but, as we will see, the psalm informs our gospel lesson this morning in ways that I wasn't quite expecting. You know that the psalms are, of course, Israel's ancient songbook. Beth explained a little bit of that in the kids' time. As, as ancient songbook that it is, it, it contains all kinds of different types of literature, just like the cranberry red hymnals in your pew contain songs of praise, songs of lament. Um, they contain encouragement and even despair, but always all of it kind of tilted towards hope, right? With the focus on a God who's incredibly interested in how we're doing and in what we're doing, right? So with that, hear the psalm again. Because you have made the Lord your refuge, the Most High your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you, no scourge come near your tent, for he'll command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, so you will not even dash your foot against a stone. You'll tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you'll trample underfoot. Those who love me I will deliver. I will protect those who know my name. When they call on me, I'll answer them. I'll be with them in trouble. I will rescue them, honor them. With long life, I will satisfy them and show them my salvation. Wow. Refuge, protection, rescue. This is one of those psalms in which the singer commends his audience, which is presumably a bunch of other worshipers, to what I would call a fierce faith, right? A robust faith that enables one to let go of whatever fear and charge ahead, heedless of the consequences. It's the kind of trust that few of us master, but all of us, I think, aspire to. Courage. Right? Courage. According to the psalm, the basis for that courage is pretty simple. 
It's the fact that God is with you. You remain close to God, God remains close to you. Period. Exclamation point. I will be with them in trouble and I will rescue them and honor them. Hmm. This psalm is actually quoted twice in the New Testament in the same context. Anybody want to take a guess as to where it appears and out of whose mouth it's being quoted? Anybody know? Well, I'll tell you. It comes out of the mouth of none other than the devil himself. <laughs> and uh, both Matthew and Luke, early in their respective Gospels, share this story of how Jesus, remember this, at the very beginning of his ministry, he's baptized by John, and the heavens open up, and he hears this voice telling him that he is God's beloved son, and just like that, immediately he's driven out into the wilderness by the Spirit. And the next thing we know, straight out of the gate, the devil is trying to get him to forget the identity that he had just been given, right? And to exchange it, to leave it behind for something that appears to be easier, better. One of those temptations involves the tempter hauling Jesus up onto the pinnacle of the temple. Do you remember this? And the devil says, go ahead, Jesus, throw yourself off. Because you remember Psalm 91, right? He will command his angels concerning you, and they will bear you up, so you won't even dash your foot against a stone. Hmm? In other words, the devil says to Jesus, why don't you take that faith out for a spin? See what it'll do. Let's see if it works. Huh? What's the matter, Jesus? What are you so scared of? Don't you have faith? Where's your faith? Remember what Jesus said? He basically says, nice try, but the word also says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And that seems to end it, right? But not really. Not really. Not for us. Because I think in our more honest moments, we'd kind of like to have seen Jesus take a swan dive off that steeple. <laughs> you know? We'd like to have seen if God really would send an angel to bear him up, protect him, right? We'd like that proof that the psalmist was right, that our courage is justified somehow, and that our courage will save us from whatever. But here's the thing. Courage was never given to anyone, including Jesus, to save themselves. Courage is always and only given for the benefit of another. It's always for someone else's salvation, not yours. You see, the real test of Jesus' courage was in sticking closer to God than the tempter. It wasn't God who hauled him up onto the pinnacle of that temple. It was the tempter, right? It was in hanging on to his identity as God's beloved son, come what may. That was his courage. He didn't need to jump off the temple. He never invited destruction. But in the course of being who he was called to be, in the course of being the hands and the heart and the feet of his father God, destruction would find him. Hmm? 
trying to love people the way God loves people would prove the most dangerous thing in the world. Following his father that way would be the most dangerous thing he could do because people would hate him for it. But Jesus knew the promise of Psalm 91 that in remaining close to the source of his life, he'd never be alone, never. Sticking close to God in a life lived for others, he would never fall. Sometimes the safest place to be is the most dangerous place to be. I'm an avid reader, and back in my late 20s, early 30s, I went through this period in which I soaked up everything I could get my hands on to read about African safari hunting. <laughs> it was kind of like this dream that I had that one day I'm going to spend two months on the continent, you know, and just go after every piece of game I could, I could possibly do. And I read the works of these professional hunters from decades ago, people like Henry Salou, Peter Capstick, Harry Selby, in the writings of Robert Rourke. And they would tell these magnificent stories, very dramatic, you know, of how these professional hunters would lead their clients on these hunts for dangerous game, the most dangerous, the kind that could, would just turn around and kill you as soon as they'd look at you, right? Uh, Cape buffalo, chasing them into the brush, you know, and trying to root them out. Hippos. Did you know more people have been killed by hippos in Africa than any other critter? That's not a lie, okay? Not that they're naturally aggressive, but they're kind of ornery if you come onto their turf and they have this way of hiding under the water, and then all of a sudden you go down there to wash your laundry in the river, and up they come and boom, you're done. Just like that. Anyway, I read all these stories. I just soaked them up. And the one thing that I've taken away with me in reading those stories, there's this constant piece of advice that would always be given by the professional hunter, the PH, to their guy, to their, to their client, the one who had hired them to take them on safari. And it was this. Always stay at the shoulder of your PH. Always stay at the shoulder of your guide. Even if he's taking you into the brush where that wounded Cape Buffalo is waiting to disembowel somebody, right? You stay on the shoulder of your guide because staying back behind him not only would prove cowardly, but it proved to be incredibly dangerous for the whole hunting party, for the trackers, for the skinners, for all those involved, for the professional hunter to not have you there at his side as well. You stayed on the shoulder of your guide. Sometimes the most dangerous place, safest place to be is the most dangerous place to be. Hmm? And I've thought of that when I read the gospel reading again today. This is how my twisted brain works, okay? I'll let you in on it. This story in Mark 10 of James and John asking for those places of honor, right? To be on Jesus' right and his left. Was, was it just a request for honor? That's what I've been thinking about. Well, their fellow disciples seem to think so because they got good and mad at James and John for asking when they found out about it, right? Well, who, are, who do they think they are to ask that question? But maybe, here's a thought. Maybe it wasn't just honor they were after. Maybe they wanted to stay close to the one whom they knew to be the source of power in life. I mean, could they have missed so blatantly the three different predictions that Jesus made of his own death and suffering that come before this. Well, it's possible they could have missed it. Mark is not very generous in his writing of the disciples. They seem to miss nearly everything that Jesus says. 
but they remain with him, right? Otherwise, there would be no gospel to write. There would have been no church after Jesus' death and resurrection. Those disciples did remain with him. They stayed with him. So what if indeed their request was not just coming merely from a place of ambition, but also from a place of fear? Maybe James and John did indeed grasp something about what Jesus was talking about in the trials coming his way, and maybe they believed that the power inside of him was enough that maybe he was overblowing those predictions just a little bit about his own destruction. Of course, I'm speculating here, but I think this makes some sense. Maybe instead of mere honor, they were also looking for safety at his side in his right, on his right and on his left in his glory. See, what Jesus reveals next is that regardless of their motivation, sometimes the safest place to be is the most dangerous place to be. You want to stick close to Jesus? You want to stick close to me? He says, great. That means going where I go and doing what I do. And that of necessity means a life that is distinctly other-directed rather than self-protective. You think you can drink the cup that I drink, he says? Go through what I'm going to go through? Okay. You will. You will. Putting the needs of your neighbor before your own? You will. Follow me. Loving the unlovely? Okay. Serving the ungrateful? Yeah. A generosity that seeks to give out of its principle rather than off its interest? Yep. Protecting the lives of others before asserting your own rights? Yes, you will. And it's going to look absolutely stupid to a lot of other people. It's going to look downright dangerous. It's going to look like a cross. It'll look just like death. But it'll be the safest place to be because the God who rescues and revives and raises up will never leave us. Be raised with him. We only have to die with him. The first death is dying to that selfish ambition inside, that instinct of self preservation. On my way into church this morning at dark 30, I heard on the radio about a group of Christians from Ohio who had been down in Haiti working in that earthquake-shattered place, building an orphanage. They've been kidnapped as they were going to the airport. All 17 of them, including some children, now they're held for ransom. Were they tempting fate in going down there, putting God to the test, testing his provision and his protection? Or were they simply following the lead of their Lord, you know? staying close to him, trying to be his hands and his feet and his heart for the sake of a hurting world. Hmm. Don't know what's going to happen to him. Will they come home unscathed? Will some or all of them lose their lives? Don't know. But in following their Lord, the promise is pretty solid that he won't abandon them. Will he indeed satisfy them with long life, as the psalmist says in Psalm 91? Well, 
the promise that I'm sure they know and trust is a promise of everlasting life. What could be longer than that? Sometimes the safest place to be is the most dangerous place to be. Because you have made the Lord your refuge, the most high your dwelling, no evil shall befall you, no scourge come near your tent. For he'll command his angels concerning you, and they will bear you up so that you won't dash your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Those who love me I will deliver. Those who know my name I will protect. When they call to me, I'll answer them. And I will be with them in the trouble. I will rescue them and honor them. With long life, I will satisfy them and show them my salvation. That's the promise. Thanks be to God. Amen.